Thanks, Dr. Many More, for being on the podcast again. No worries. It's great to be with you, as always, Alex. So our first uh, chat, which was episode three, which would have been a couple of months ago now, um, we did a general overview on um, how medicinal um, medicinal cannabis might be used in um, pediatrics. Uh, and today we're going to go a little bit more specific into um, autism. Um, we're going to chat a bit about the condition itself, uh, the difficulties around it, and then also how medicinal cannabis may be used in some circumstances. Um, I think probably let's start off just talking about a generally, what is autism and what are the different types? Yeah, sure. It's it's a, you know, a neurodevelopmental condition where, you know, children up to, you know, age, basically, you know, they're diagnosed from anywhere from two to age seven, typically. And then, um, you know, some definitely don't get caught up until later on and even in adulthood. But, you know, th these patients have difficulties with communicating and actually interpreting the environment. Um, <clears throat> and so that, that, that is a, you know, it's called a spectrum because there's so many different varying abilities and, and, um, differences there. So no, no, no one person is alike. And honestly, buddy, like what is normal these days? You know, we're, we're, we're learning so much about the neurodivergent brain and, and, you know, it's funny how, how many, how many times I see folks and I'm like, dude, maybe I have a little bit of that. I've got a little bit of that, you know, it's like, oh man, you know, so we're all, you know, we're all on the spectrum at some point, you know? So, you know, th those, those folks have real difficulties in social situations. And, and really what we, we treat um, as GPs is, is those behaviors that, that could be better, you know, um, and that, that tend to be difficult um, and also get in the way of those patients' daily living activities. You know, there's so many comorbidities along with that neurodivergent brain. So it's, it's you know, there's, there's not really any, um, any known causes other than some genetic disorders that it's associated with, like Fragile X and tuber sclerosis. And, um, you know, anywhere from like 10 to 40% is genetic. And, and look, the rest is... is a little up in the air. We're not exactly sure. We know that it's not um, due to immunizations. I mean, that's been, um, you know, poo-pooed on and, and like, you know, it's, it's been proven over and over again with these huge sample size studies, which show that no relation, you know, no causal effect of these immunizations. So then what we're left with is, is there an environmental piece to this? There's not a whole lot of data for that yet, but um, mostly genetic, um, <clears throat> So it's in about a, a 1% of our worldly population. And that's millions of people, millions and millions of people. And, you know, I think there's probably more than we know of. I mean, it's a three to one ratio of male to female, which is, you know, that that's, that's thought to be probably um, more leaning towards increasing to a one to one because of so many um, late diagnoses and, and females because they present differently and they mask better. So those are often lost, uh, as far as diagnosing until later. Um, so that's about one in fifth, one in 70 to one in fifth, one in one fifty. Um, you know, there's, there's no real, uh, there's no cure. Of course, it's always, you know, uh, something that patients is a condition that patients will, have to live with and get better at some of those difficulties that they have and really learn those things 
um, differently than we, you and I would. So there's a big spectrum. So there can be the, the one that there might be more social skills um, and maybe they're not getting eye contact or that sort of more subtle types of signs, which is probably where, like you said, a lot of people probably can identify with and go, well, I probably am on that part of the spectrum. But then there's the other end of the spectrum as well where there's nonverbal Right. Yeah, an intellectual impairment. I mean, you know, that's a lot of uh, you know, forty percent of the of the diagnosis has, um, in, in, you know, intellectual impairment. So it's, I, and I hate the the term autistic, uh, or um, you know, the the disorder that that just is you know a negative connotation. And and certainly my patients who, who have ASD are like, Hey, 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 watch it. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what did I say? What did I say? Something wrong. They're like disorder. I'm like, well, shoot, that's, that's what it's, you know, it's called in the DSM, you know, our diagnostic manual. So it's not something that comes, um, you know, that I'm thinking is a negative, uh, diagnosis, but sometimes that, that disorder has a negative connotation. And you also said that it's usually diagnosed around from two years old to seven years old. So from what I've read, babies and things can develop normally meeting all their milestones to about 18 months, two years old, um, sounds like maybe even older. And then all of a sudden it stops or even they um, maybe lose some of those skills. What What is the theories behind this? Because like you said, um, causes are, there's lots of causes that we're not really sure about, but what's the theories around why they can develop normally, you know, maybe milestones up until a certain age and then it just stops? Well, I think it's, it's just the brain develops to a certain stage where um, it can't develop that way um, and that quickly. Um, and so that, that it uses its, its, its growth, really growth factors, the brain and, and its development for, you know, those really major things. Um, and, and this is just a theory. Um, no one really knows for sure, to be honest, you know, but at, at some point, you know, development gets, gets worse. And, and therefore you, you kind of have to really delve into, all right, what, what are the deficiencies is this, you know, is this a metabolic issue? Because you've got to rule out things first, right? Before you say, oh, that, that, that child has ASD. And when you say metabolic issues, are you talking like a diabetes type of thing? Yeah, totally. Like some, some deficiency in metabolism or, you know, cellular metabolism or something that's genetic and the trickle down of that is there's a deficiency there. Yeah, like it, it's, it's hard to really to know for, for sure. I mean, we're doing so much research on it. And I know there's a bit of talk around the gut microbiome and autism. Is there much evidence around that? Or is that, I mean, obviously the gut is such a big area that we still got to learn a lot about as well. Do we know if there is much of a link there? No, there's not any, any definite causal link there yet. You know, there's lots of supposition and, and therefore studies going on about it, but um, not really any direct link. You don't hear often, oh, well, I haven't heard often of adults with autism, but there must be adults with autism. Of course there are. Are we just focusing more on children because that's when we're looking more at milestones? Yeah, looking at, yeah, definitely. And I think that's, that's when it's most obvious, you know, when we're, when we're developing and there's a, there's a norm where we see development going. And then when there's, a, there's something that's abnormal, it's like, oh, you know, 
and, and we're so focused now on diagnosis, like where we, where we weren't, you know, it was such, so underrepresented and underdiagnosed for so many years. And now we're kind of catching up on our um, awareness. And I think that's, that's why you're seeing an increase rather than seeing um, autism increasing because of some factor. I think we're just more aware and being able to diagnose it um, and, you know, understanding it and learning about it and learning about the neurodivergent brain. Before you mentioned as well about certain behaviors. So when it comes to treatment options for autism, it's looking more at treating certain aspects of autism, right? So what sort of behaviors are you referring to? Yeah. I mean, autism spectrum disorder isn't uh, something that you can give a medication for and it reverses it like, you know, or limits it or turns it back to um, normal uh, pathology or anatomy or physiology. And so there's not really, there's no treatments for the actual disorder, but we we treat, um, you know, the, the, the result of that in in emotional and behavioral um, therapies, really. And that that's basically what we do is, is um, we get social work involved for the families. We get occupational therapy, you know, psych- psychologists, speech pathologists. Um, you know, you've got your psychiatrists who are on board because of this, the, the many kind of mental health associated comorbidities with ASD. Um, pediatricians, you know, as in Australia, we, we have a multidisciplinary team that, that gets together and, and diagnoses this. And that's not a, a, a fast process. It's, it's very long and it takes all of those brains and assessments together to give that diagnosis. And then, you know, after that, it's really getting, getting the support together um, and if you're diagnosed, you know, before age seven, then you, then you have access to the NDIS and, and all of that, um, funding really what's that's required because you can imagine all that extra support is not free. And so, you know, previous to the NDIS and government, um, support for this, gosh, how are we getting it done? How could you possibly see, the speechy, the occupational therapists and the pediatricians as often as it needs to be initially, at least. Um, gosh, that's a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of dough. I mean, that's obviously one of the biggest challenges when parents are being faced with or discussing these, that their child is maybe um, autistic, having to go to all of these different therapies as well is must be very time consuming. Overwhelming. My gosh. I mean, you know, having that diagnosis when, when you're really unaware, um, I'm sure parents and families have, have a, a potentially, you know, can see, okay, maybe, maybe this is going in that direction, but that's a big step. That's a big transition. Um, and educating yourselves and understanding how you can help your child and understand their brain so that they reach their potential gosh, that can be overwhelming. And there, and, and the time that it takes and, and organizing all of that support, man, I, I mean, I, I see it a lot and families are, are tired, you know, they're overwhelmed, they're, they're reaching out, they need support. And, you know, if they don't get it, it's, it's really difficult. It's really difficult. Um, a difficult diagnosis for a family. 
Do you find yourself constantly reaching for sugary foods? It's no secret that eating too much sugar can wreak havoc on your gut health. Not only does it feed bad gut bacteria, but it can also cause inflammation and damage to the gut lining. Fatika Co's Gut Health Protocol is here to help. Our simple four-week reset program is designed to remove triggers and unwanted microbes, supporting you through your sugar hangover and repairing the gut. So why wait? Start feeling better today with Fatika Co's Gut Health Protocol. So the area that you specialize in is medicinal cannabis, and this is one potential treatment option that people are using for autism. Can you explain a bit about how does it work and what sort of behavioral aspects is it treating? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's no silver bullet, you know, it's not snake oil. It's not for everybody. We have, we have to um, have a, a diagnosis of ASD and patients have had to have tried first line therapies for those um, issues that we're treating. And, you know, that's t- typically, um, you know, behavioral disruptions, um, you know, sleep disturbance, uh, you know, anxiety, mood disorders that are associated with it and the neurodivergent brain with ADD, ADHD, that comorbidity. So those are, are managed differently. And, um, you know, you gotta be aware and think about that. You had also said before that autism's, um, linked with other sort of learning difficulties. So like ADHD is that sort of and maybe depression or anxieties or. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the dyslexia, some, you know, uh, sensitivities with, you know, auditory and visual processing issues. So yeah, there's lots, um, lots of complications that come with ASD and, and, uh, potentials to help, uh, and treat symptoms there. So, um, a, a lot of these families are in distress because they've, they've tried all this stuff and, and they see how, how their son or daughter is, is flailing and floundering really. And, and behaviors are getting worse and grades are suffering and, you know, relation, social relationships at school. And, you know, it's just so isolating, um, th- this diagnosis for, for families and, 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 and patients with, with it, it can be really, really frustrating for them. And, and that's really where it, it results in be- behaviors that aren't, aren't nice to be around. With any medication, obviously before starting treatments, you're looking at interactions um, and each person's going to be different with um, what other kind of diagnosis they might have or um, learning difficulties, um, mental health problems. Can medicinal cannabis impact a child's learning in any negative way or um, does it generally work more to um, improve their learning abilities? Well, well by and large, it, it improves it because you're, you're treating those, uh, those comorbidities, those symptoms, which kind of slows things down, allows, let's say, for example, um, you know, a child with anxiety also, um, which, which a lot have. I mean, I, it's, it's, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of, of children in my office without you know, anxiety, to be honest. And treating that um, improves patients, um, you know, ability to sit there and and think and finish their work and um, uh, have those social interactions without worrying about the what ifs, because that's what anxiety is. So that allows them to finish their testing and finish their tasks at home, uh, and 
you know, stop the brain at, at the end of the day from ruminating and having, you know, panic type symptoms, um, you know, which is what that hypervigilant, hypervigilant brain can do at the end of the day. It just keeps going. It's zooming, you know, about, oh gosh, what about this interaction? What did she say? What about tomorrow? You know, what, what if I don't do well, or what if I don't wake up or, you know, it's, 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 um, if you treat the anxiety, the child's brain development, you know, typically is a lot better and, and behaviors improve and grades improve. And are we looking at a THC CBD combination um, for during the day for anxiety? Yeah, sorry, I didn't I didn't address that, but yeah, you you know when the thing that we have to be wary of in treatment with cannabis is is you know THC is really the the part of the cannabis plant that comes with side effects. You know, CBD is generally very well tolerated. You know, you can use you know a lot higher doses without much. Um, you know, negative results. Um, but your, your, your side effects typically for children would be like you said, uh, fatigue or sleepiness, um, with THC and we, we don't want that. Um, so I, I, I really have read a lot of, of the data and the papers certainly in this, in this space and, uh, tend to treat kids with, CBD majority with very little THC, because I just don't want to, um, we're, we're very careful with that developing brain. We don't want it to alter it in a way that they can't reach their potential. So, and, and quite, quite honestly, CBD majority oils with very little THC have great results without, you know, the negative side effects. Um, you know, CBD can help anxiety as well. Um, without using THC, it can be very calming without that psychoactive, you know, um, negative properties of THC. Is the treatment like medicinal cannabis, the way that it's working for something like anxiety, is it just um, helping with calming them while they're taking that medication during that time? Or is there any evidence of it showing it um, helping with like rewiring anything or any changes? There's not a whole lot of evidence on rewiring yet. Um, We're certainly doing a lot in that space, but really we're treating symptoms and calming and you know, allowing them to slow things down a bit without, you know, the, the ramp up of the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. And like you said, you, you can um, use it to help improve sleep. And I suppose if, you know, kids or all of us, we need really good quality sleep so we can function best during the day. So I suppose just even by improving um, a child's quality of sleep at nighttime, that should improve their learning and their focus during the day. Hugely dynamic. Yeah, you said it. I mean, you know, a good night's sleep improves everything. And, you know, you, you've had a, a poor night's sleep or a night shift. The next day, I'm super emotional, like crazy emotional and, and uh, more anxious. So, yeah, like um, I've lived that one myself. And w- with, with a good night's sleep, you know, the, the result of, of that um, is across all body systems, to be honest. When you're lacking in sleep, you... Uh when you're faced with a problem, it's an emotional based, um, problem solving as opposed to a mental, uh, yeah, mental capacity of problem solving. There you have it. Absolutely. Do you have any good uh, case studies that you can talk us through where you've used medicinal cannabis, um, for autism? Yes, several, to be honest, and probably more, more than you'd want me to talk about, but like, you know, yeah, seriously, like one, one would be, uh, um, I think he, he was five or six, um, not, not verbal, um, 
communicated with uh, chirps and um, noises, but and and with with gestures with his hands, um, super bright, um, and, and like I could tell the first time I met him that it that he was so frustrated about his inability to 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 communicate with me, and so we started him on um, you know CBD majority oil and like literally within the first week he started putting words together for his family and his family was just like you won't believe it he started talking <laughs> like so that that that's one really eye-opening uh case you know for me it was just like wow how old was this child uh six seven maybe and he had never spoken no wow and so you could tell he had all of it up in his head. Absolutely. It just, he, he could not couldn't get it out. Imagine the frustration. Totally. Like I could tell, I could totally see it. Um, you know, you, you, you can imagine um, being able to do that for the first time. Like, holy cow. Um, and, and he's so proud of himself. Like he's just, you know, popping around confident, you know, not as frustrated anymore. And you know, he's such a lovely little guy. He's so sweet and, and smart and capable. Um, but it just goes to show you that the endocannabinoid system has its tentacles and it's, a, it, you know, its influence all across the central nervous system. And there's so much we need to learn about it. Um, you know, that that's just one case. I mean, there's, there's so many, Alex, um, that are just life-changing for not only those patients, but, but families. Could you imagine? He would have never have said... Like, I love you, mom or dad. Oh, that'll be the first time they would have ever heard those words. First time out of his mouth. Like, how, how, how incredible would that be to hear that? And how was that for you as a prescriber, like connecting with this boy and seeing through his eyes of the frustration and then seeing the change? Oh, like he, it's, we're, we're buddies. Like he, he loves coming to the doctor's office because he knows that he's got that association between, you know, th this this dude, whoever he is, has allowed me, whatever he's given me has allowed me to, you know, do better and be less frustrated. And, um, you know, he, he's thriving at school and uh, yeah, he's got his difficulties and he always will. And he, and he's, he's different. His brain's different, but, um, I think it's freed, freed him up to really develop a lot, a lot better, a lot quicker. It, it's, it's amazing. And, and that's motivating buddy like that, that right there is incredibly motivating. And, um, gosh, that's exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing or, or because of those success stories. How long ago was that, that that treatment started? Oh, probably three years ago. And he's, so it's continued. He's still able to talk and meeting milestones. Totally. Do you know what's changed? What unlocked that with like, how did the medicinal cannabis work to unlock that? Honestly, I'm, I'm not really sure. And nobody really knows yet. I mean, we, if, if we had a snapshot and could look with our microscopes and see the endocannabinoid system and see what opened up, but we just don't, we just don't know. It's so our brains are so complex. Um, but, but the endocannabinoid system is, is attached to the dopaminergic system, the serotonergic system. It's, it's there everywhere. Um, you know, along the central nervous system and, and in our immune system, uh, the influence is, is incredible. So yeah, there's so much to learn and it's a really exciting evolving field. Yeah. It's just made me think of like, um, Parkinson's disease and how, yeah, the change with dopamine. And then they eventually, you know, they can't talk and things like that as well. So 
Yeah. What a fascinating area to be involved with. I'm telling you, buddy, I'm like, I'm so energized. My whole career has just went. Do you have another one that you can tell us? Because that's an amazing story. I'd love to hear if you've got another great case study. Yeah. Look, I mean, there, there's another, another kid who's, who had anger issues, like real anger issues. And he's um, part of his treatment. Uh, and I believe I, I probably met him at, at age 14, 15. Um, part of his treatment was antipsychotics, you know, because of his anger and his outbursts. And, and really that is, has a lot to do probably with anxiety and, and frustration because he, he, he wants to do something, but he can't, he can't communicate. He knows what he's can do and his limitations. Right. So, um, that has, you know, upon starting, really a, a low dose CBD, almost no THC at all. Um, like within the first couple of weeks, you know, his, his mom, um, shot me an email. She said, I I can't believe it. Like after all the stuff that we've done, this one thing has allowed us to, you know, finally get, get a good night's sleep, not worry about him, you know, because he's with the antipsychotics, he had put on a, a, a lot of weight. And he's a big kid. And, you know, because of that, you know, throwing that body around, um, not many people can, can stop him. And, you know, that was going to be a problem as he continued to develop and get bigger th- through puberty and, and growing into be a man. Um, so now he's graduated high school. He's, um, he's still at home, but he's, you know, uh, learning to like a, a trade or a, of not, not a trade, but like a, he's, he's a, he's volunteering with a, with a, a group and, you know, which is really, really amazing and fascinating to see that, you know, that, that one tweak in his regimen was what allowed him to now potentially be, be on his own and take care of himself um, without getting in the way of himself. So that, that's, 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 that's a great story. And, and, you know, being, being a part of that is, like I said, just so, so dynamic and, and, you know, motivating. Can I understand that the anger, you know, testosterone mixed in there as well, a teenage boy, um, and then, which they're all going to have those anger issues anyway. Um, but then on top of that, having the restrictions and not being able to meet what you know you're capable of. Oh, I couldn't. Yeah, that would be incredibly frustrating. And you said with um, the antipsychotics, obviously one of the downsides for a lot of those are that they commonly cause weight gain and they, um, you know, even blood sugar things where people get diabetes and all those other issues that come with it. Do you see any of those sorts of side effects with um, medicinal cannabis? No, no, not, not really. I mean, it, it can, it, it, that, and again, that's dependent on THC. Uh, we use THC a lot um, for that very reason, because with, say, for instance, cancer patients can be cachectic and body wasting and, and without much appetite going through these her- horrendous therapies to, to try to get well. Um, so THC can really improve appetite, um, improve their pain. And, but it's, that's controllable. You know, it's not like, and with the antipsychotics as well, but I don't, I haven't seen patients from being on medicinal cannabis from one, one year to the next gain 40 kilos. I mean, that just, 
I haven't seen that. I'm sure that there are some cases out there because it, it can Im- increase appetite, but no, by and large, it's, I'm not, I'm not seeing that. I think, and I can understand now more reasons why you're involved with this, um, this industry or working with this particular medication. Cause by making certain tweaks with the ratios, you can either improve someone's appetite or you can control it, or you can change a behavioral thing. There's so many amazing things you can do with this plant. It's, it's a plant that was given to us. This was here on earth for a reason. And it's not been utilized for so long. You know, it predates the the written word like, you know, 10,000 years ago. Um, you know, I did a talk recently at the United and Compassion Symposium on the East Coast. And um, yeah, just going, preparing for that talk, you know, I knew the history of cannabis, but to go back and see how many different, you know, countries in, in China and in Persia and Syria, um, you know, the, the Hebrews used it like and for millennia. This has been used as a textile and um, a medicine and, and, and an entheogen, which is, you know, involved in religious practice. Um, and the fact that, you know, early, early, you know, 1900s, we weren't allowed to use it um, because of, of really racism is 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 a travesty because we lost, you know, at the time of that early century, late 1800s, it was the most prescribed medicine, you know, and companies like Bristol Myers Squibb and Eli Lilly, that was their number one medicine was cannabis. And, um, you know, then that was, you know, deemed a schedule eight. It was, uh, like the same category as heroin and, um, and then there, there was 90 years for you. We weren't able to use it. We weren't able to research it. So I think, um, you know, we got a lot of catching up to do, but I'm really excited because as, as we're reducing stigma and breaking stigma um, and seeing these positive stories from one case to another, um, it's really allowing us to see the potential. And it's a quite a dynamic plant, quite a dynamic medicine that has you know, lots of, um, properties. Um, it's not, it's not a simple thing. There's lots of minor cannabinoids, terpenes, flavonoids, and they all have a therapeutic property. So it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to, to, to do research studies because of that. But I think, you know, at, at one time in the future, I think we'll probably have, um, indications and, and s- specific cultivar of cannabis or, you know, minor cannabinoids that we're actually trying to prescribe for our patients because of that indication. We're going to be um, pretty specific with our cannabis plants and indications. So um, pretty, pretty exciting space to be in for sure. Yeah, it's just the start. It's just the beginning. While we're on that point, I want to go a little bit political, but in the latest federal election, there was record votes for Legalized Cannabis Party. Uh, what do you think this means? What does this say? Uh, I, I think it's, it's a, it's a wake up for everybody and all those old school folks that are, are stuck in that stigma, um, that there's gotta be some changes, you know, people, people are tired of the same old stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's what voting is. It's our representation. And it just goes to show you that people are more open every time we vote into, um, using this plant and using it in a different way. And opening it up, you know, not not um, having it stigmatized anymore. It, there's there's still a lot of that there, but it's it's definitely on the up and up, and and it's an exciting 
really exciting to see that that representation um, increase every every election. Mm. I mean, it's like with anything or any kind of substance. If you use it right, in the right dose, in the right way, for the right person, it can be great. Uh, and like with sugar, if you eat too much, I mean, that would have to be one of the worst <laughs> drugs. Sugar stuffs with the whole body. Yeah, I mean, the the fact that, you know, we're, we're seeing um, r- research being done with psychedelics and, uh, you know, M- MDMA and ketamine and the, these other you know, much maligned therapies are now having some studies and having some real benefit, certainly in, you know, with psilocybin and PTSD, um, you know, the studies are small, but when they go head to head and they, and they beat, you know, our first line therapy of serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and, and we're not saying um, they're on psilocybin for the rest, they've switched it. They had three, you know, psycho uh, assisted therapies and they were cured. Like they don't have PTSD anymore. They've, they've changed their brain. You know, PTSD changes the brain to where you're unable to inhibit fear. And, and that, um, psychedelic journey guided by these practitioners, anywhere from one to three of these, it's cured people of their PTSD. That blows my mind. I mean, that, that right there is exciting. So yeah, you're right. We're, we're now going to be able to use all of these like, you know, LSD, you know, we'll look at, it was synthesized and used in the sixties and seventies for that very reason, you know? So, um, here we are again. These poor people are in situations that are just, you know, they're at their wits end and, you know, you don't want to, if you're going to be on something like an SSRI for the rest of your life, potentially, and still not actually reaching, you know, optimal therapy, um, or like feeling your best, they still don't work great for a lot of people, but then to go and do three treatments that are controlled under a, a medical, um, scenario with someone overseeing, and then they're getting better. They're effectively being cured. It's unbelievable. Like, it, you know, it's hard to actually believe, but it's, it's true. And, and people all over the world are now, trying to duplicate those, uh, I think it was two or three studies, small studies. I think the, the sample size was 60 patients, maybe. I'll have to look, look that up. I'm sorry. Um, they're they're going to be duplicating that. And then we get these bigger studies. And, you know, when those results come in and those are positive, where are we going to be at, Alex? Like, this is really exciting. It'd be, it's going to be interesting to see how Big Pharma um, takes that and are are they going to be scooping up all of these smaller research facilities and companies and, and, you know, doing it? I I certainly hope not. I'd love to see it in, in the people's hands. You know, I'd love to see it decriminalized um, first and foremost, because, you know, there's a lot of people that need those therapies right now and um, you know, stacking them away and as a schedule nine and not making them available for us to use like medicinal cannabis in in situations where we apply for it and it's um, managed and we have a plan and we abide by that plan and we notify the government. Why why can't we do that? You know, it's controlled. It's, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? Yes. You know, there are contraindications and things we got to be careful with in medicinal cannabis and all those others that we're talking about. Um, but gosh, if you can save people's lives 
um, you know, decrease the suicide rates because PTSD and, and resistant anxiety these days, and that, that leads to suicidal ideation and intent and doggone it, suicide. And our, our rates are way too high. We've got to do something, you know, we've got to do something. On that point, is suicide an issue with autism? It can be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that you have to be, it's one of those red flags that us, us as practitioners really have to be aware of. There's about 12, there's a list of things that, that we have to be really careful for. Um, and definitely one of them is an increased uh, suicide risk just because of, of all those other comorbidities that make it so difficult for these people. And they're like, man, screw it. I'm out of here. And I get it. I get it. It's terrible. And we need to be a, do a better job of diagnosing and um, supporting some obviously have some fears around uh, maybe starting a new treatment like medicinal cannabis. What are some of the fears that they might be having that would potentially be stopping them from even going and seeing you to have the conversation? And what is your process? Yeah, no, it's it's not all about THC. Like when you hear cannabis, that doesn't equate to, um, you know, getting stoned. You know, there's many different parts of the cannabis plan. And mostly what we're using is, is the cannabidiol majority uh, cannabinoid. Other than THC, yes, we can use THC, but we use it at much lower limits. So that that stigmatization, that oh, cannabis, oh God, really? Should we talk to anybody about it? You know. Um, so yeah, the, the, those those things we address. Uh, we address expectations a, a lot. Like, look, you know, we're going to trial this for you know a certain amount of time. It may not work. Um, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to be very mindful and methodical and very, you know, start at very low doses and slowly escalate them until, you know, symptoms are relieved and not have to escalate that any further. Um, you know, we go, we go over their full history, what they've, what they're currently on their liver function, all that, and, and making sure that there's not anything that we've missed that potentially could be, um, you know, obviously these folks have an autistic diagnosis before they come to see me. So we're, we're, you know, most of the time it's already a diagnosis. I'm not, I'm, I still do GP um, one day a week. So I, I do um, have a part in diagnosis, but at mode where we're doing plant therapies um, along with, uh, you know, other, other things, but mostly plant therapies, um, you know, that, that, that has to be um, addressed. So medications, obviously these, these kids have pro probably most of them have normal liver function, but something to think about because cannabis is metabolized that way. Um, and, and making sure that, that the families and parents understand um, our follow-up process, that they can contact us um, anytime for, for guidance and support and, um, you know, so that they can reinforce the plan if they if they have questions and and wonder, okay, I'm I'm to this point. Where do I go from here? This has happened, Doc. What what do we do now? So, um, you know, there's a lot of distressed people initially, and you know, after seeing them and and starting treatment, um, you know, a lot of them are are much happier. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of that. Our last part as well, you're as a, a prescriber who works with um, people with autism and as a parent, what would be your best advice to other parents who are going through this? Well, look, I mean, I, I have some perspective 
on this one as well. And, you know, I, I just tell my patients, look, I, I, I'm, I'm there with you. I, I know how it is. I know how difficult it can be during the process um, and getting diagnoses and supporting and understanding your child. I get it. It's not, it's not easy. There's lots of tears and, um, you know, sleepless nights and worry ourselves as a mom and dad, you know, wondering, okay, how do we, how do we make this better? How can we, you know, help our, our child reach their potential? So I, I do share that with, with my patients that I do have some perspective there. I, I'm uh, a father of, of an, of an, an autistic child an ASD kiddo. And, um, you know, I think that does, does ring, ring a bell with most folks. So like, Oh, okay. He, he, he does actually get it. He's not just, you know, throwing cannabis at us. Um, so yeah, look, I, 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 I think that's special for me because, um, I'm an empath and I understand, and I, I try to help, um, families with, through that process. So, it, and I know how difficult it can be personally. And for you, was it just taking one step at a time, one a day at a time and pulling in as much help as possible? Yeah, shoot. I've got a, I've got a, you know, an absolute star for a wife who, who reads a lot and he's all over it. And, you know, it's not just me, um, we're a team. And, and so, yeah, well, look, we, we, we gathered a lot of resources. We, we, um, asked a lot of questions and, um, you know, got, got, got the diagnosis really a little bit later than, um, we always kind of knew, but we, we just started really, um, reading as much as we possibly could. And, um, yeah. And then talking to our providers and, you know, uh, trying to understand what their management plans were and, you know, deciding what was best for our family. That's right. Every family's different. You got to work out what's right for you and yeah, your family and go for it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and having patience and, and no judgment and, and um, providing all of these options for these families and not trying to steer them in the right and in, in the direction that you think they should go because man, it is every patient's different. Every family's different and you know, their journey is different. So where can people find you? Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, in Dunsborough at Mode Healthcare. Um, you can see me or contact us, make appointments on our website and on our socials. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Maddie Moore. That's at D-R-M-A-T-T-Y-M-O-O-R-E. And I've got a website myself. It's Matt Moore, M-D, M-A-T-T-M-O-O-R-E-M-D is in medicaldoctor.com. My clinic email or website, sorry, is modehealthcare.com.au. And yeah, they can uh, see, uh, get lots of information, get some resources on our websites and on our socials. We do lots of videos. We like to educate, Um, you know, do a lot of small um, videos and and stuff with um, a really, really special guy from South America. My special man. (laughs) Yes, he's a special dude. Shout out, Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out. What, what? Yeah, those are, those are, you know, probably our website and our socials are really easy to find us and you can book online at our, at our website. So 
check us out. I'll add all the links in the show notes so it's easy for everybody. And yes, jump over onto your Instagram because you have so many fabulous uh, little videos on there that are easy for people to um, quickly digest and gather, you know, as much information as they can. Um, so get over to there. Thank you so much for being on the podcast again. I really want to have you on again in a few months time and we'll just keep going through condition by condition. <laughs> awesome. Let's do it, buddy. Let's, let's knock them down. Fantastic. Thanks, Maddie. No worries, buddy. Always good.